Hey everybody, welcome back to week two of 52 weeks of empowerment. I am Andrea Pagnozzi and I'm a career success coach who's gonna help you get from where you are today in your career to where you wanna be professionally in 2022. Last week, we set the course for the year on a solid foundation and we began to practice operating with an abundance mindset. I'm curious how you guys did with that because I know when I started to, to adopt this mindset, it was harder than I thought it would be. I thought it was a very positive person who was always looking on the up and it turns out I was a bit of a Debbie Downer when it came to my career. It was kind of hard for me to assess the landscape in such a way that it was in a positive light. So you were asked to do this, to wake each morning with a recognition of something in abundance in your life with purpose. Because I think it's a very solid place to start. We spend so much of our time working in our waking hours that it's important that we have the proper mindset on a daily basis. And you're not always going to be happy and chipper and bring your best self to the table. Those are the days you need to take off, right? But at the same time, recognizing what you do have in your life versus lamenting over the things you may not is a much more powerful use of the time you have, especially when it's first thing in the morning. It helps start the day by welcoming abundance. And I found that when my clients come to me in a very dark place looking for guidance, this simple practice each morning is a good exercise to get them in the right frame of mind. I also asked listeners last week to think of one word that sums up what they want professionally to achieve in 2022 and focus on that. This week, we're going to work with both of those two components to begin to build your personal brand, your personal story. Every professional has a story. You can be an athlete, you can be a rock star, a secretary, a mechanic. You'll have a story to tell about your talent, your experience, and what you wish to do with both. This week, we're going to start the first of a two-part series on building your brand. Arguably the most essential facet towards getting the career you want is having a good narrative to back it up. And we're going to work on that. One of the most frustrating things I am finding about the great resignation is that people have lost their professional identity. They're so burnt out that they're pivoting to careers that they aspire to much more than they ever have in the past. Many of them are opening up their own businesses. They have no experience in building a business. They just want to escape the madness of working in an understaffed, unappreciated situation in a virtual world where they feel very isolated and unsupported. Some of you are probably thinking, well, Andrea, why do I need a narrative if I'm going into business for myself? It's even perhaps more important to have that narrative down because you have to earn the trust of clients, potential clients, investors if you need them, people around you to support you. So the story does still need to be told. It's just told in a different way. And if your desired job is not one necessarily congruent to what you've been doing for the last five, 10 years, the story becomes even more important. And there's always a way to weave what you possess and know 
into what you wish to do. So this week and next, we will explore this quite a bit. This week, we're gonna familiarize you with the components of personal branding, offer a few examples of what good looks like, things you need to consider as you build your own narrative. And next week, we'll get into how to tie it all together, particularly in situations where you are having challenges with building that, that brand story. There were several clients of mine this year who struggled to get a new job because this part of the interview wasn't well done. Be clear about this. If you don't do this well, the hiring company will. They'll do it for you. And it won't always be a fair depiction or an accurate brand story, if you will. Companies depend on very peripheral information to weave a narrative about you through social media, word of mouth. They'll look on LinkedIn and they'll see somebody in their downline, second or third connection that may be connected to you. And even without your approval of this reference, they'll reach out to those people. And the net of their findings becomes your brand. Many of these companies will walk into an interview already having done that type of research. So if you want your brand based on a video of you twerking at a fraternity party seven years ago, then you're in luck. But if you don't, I recommend you get this narrative cleaned up and take hold of it up front so they don't draw their own conclusion. I'll segue here by saying about 20% of my clientele are college graduates hired by their family to help their kids get jobs post-grad school or undergrad. Why? Because nothing they learn in college, none of the courses they took is going to prepare them for the process of starting their career. But a career success coach can. There's absolutely no course that tells you how to build a resume, have better interview skills, you know, build and weave a narrative doesn't exist. So what I provide is I walk them through the whole process from resume to negotiating salary and the first few months, I will coach them through acclimating to the nine to five. Their personal branding discussion is a little bit complex because other than internships or part-time summer jobs, they're a bit hamstrung when it comes to experience and most of their talent is potential, right? So their story seems a little baseless, except that every single Gen X, millennial, Gen Z, and eventually the alphas will be starting to get jobs. They're all immersed in the multiverse. They're all out there on the internet, on Snapchat and WhatsApp and Insta. I would advise anyone with kids who may be listening to this, who are college age, and they're part of these generations that I mentioned, warn them. By junior year, you need to start cleaning up your online profile because human resource executives have shared with me from many, many industries that it is about 24 months that they go back to reach a determination whether individuals are a good cultural fit based on their public persona at their companies. So it's a very real consequence that if your kid's online persona incriminates them in any way, they won't get an interview. I mean, that's great that they can do a keg stand for a full 30 count, but that typically is not a preferred qualification for most Fortune 100 companies, not even Anheuser-Busch that I know of. So 
When they're fortunate enough to get in front of a recruiter or a hiring manager, the story needs to be one of, I have my shit together and I should be considered for employment at your company. And here's why. While we're on the subject, I've also had this conversation with previous generations that post everything on social media. Their political stance, whether or not you should get a vaccine, suggestive or judgmental comments about celebrities and their friends and shaming others and posting inappropriate memes. Any and all of this could jeopardize your image when you're seeking employment. So you need to be mindful that if it's out there, it's discoverable. And if companies are going back 18 to 24 months with a college grad, they're going to do the same with you. So every now and then I tell my clients, Google yourself, which in and of itself sounds suggestive, but I'm being serious. Go ahead and Google your name every so often. See how far you have to search through images or stories to get to the real you. If you have a relatively benign footprint on social media, on the web, you're good to go. But if not, you need to start posting a lot of positive stuff to bury the past stupidity because you can't erase it. Many times it's a friend of yours that's posted something. Once it's out there, it's hard to erase it. So all you can do is flood the internet with really positive images of yourself, your family, and all of these things. After you clean up your online image, you need to develop a tagline or an elevator speech that is basically your verbal calling card. And you're gonna share this with anyone because you really don't know where your next best career opportunity is gonna come from. And you've got a network everywhere. We'll talk a lot about networking this year because it is vitally important. But whatever your tagline or elevator speech entails, it should be simple, it should be succinct, and it should grab people's attention. It should talk about who you are and why you're unique from others who do the same thing that you do. Two lines, top. I'm a career success coach. My name is Andrea Pagnosi. And because of the nearly three decades that I spent in learning and development roles, I'm fiercely dedicated to coaching professionals get to the careers they would excel in because I'm intuitive about aligning people's skills to excellence. That's it. It's who I am. It's what I do. It's why I'm better than other success coaches. When you're building this narrative, you need to be matter of fact. Don't overstate, don't tell too much. This is why I had everyone start last week with determining what they have in abundance. If you walk in to any place with a defeated or entitled demeanor, I was laid off, I'm a victim, I hate my job, that's why I'm leaving it. I need a job, this one sounded good, and have this sort of, I don't know, very blasé narrative, it's gonna impact you. So your best bet is to keep your narrative simple and keep it to the one thing you have in, in abundance. Charisma, are you a good conversationalist? Are you particularly agile? Are you solutions-minded? What are they looking for? What do you possess? Any of these are a far cry from victim. And if the one thing you have decided you want out of 2022 professionally is to get a job where your strengths are appreciated, your narrative may sound a little bit like this. Hi, I'm a civil engineer. My name is John Smith. 
Given the past 24 months of consistent change during the pandemic, my ability to flex quickly in a virtual environment enabled my team to continue to over-deliver on projects with great results. Sadly, our company closed its doors in 2021, so I'm looking forward to applying my agility somewhere new. That's it. While it still acknowledges there's been a layoff, it's a brighter story of who you are, what you do well, and why they would want to hire you. We happen to be looking for somebody who's skilled as a people leader. I'd like to hear more about these results. I do believe that you need to be honest about your reason for looking because there's so many people looking right now. Without authenticity, it's a bit of a fairy tale. It's not a story you would typically hear. I think that works great for Disney, but not necessarily in real life. An interesting thing happened with a client recently, and I know he's listening to this podcast, so I want to thank him very anonymously and very publicly for letting me share this story because I do ask when I share things of my clients. But he was a director of a business that he had worked for for some time. He had been promoted to the role and didn't necessarily ever throw his hat in the ring. He got promoted because he was really good as a project manager. So they said, here, you're gonna lead all the project managers. <laughs> and he desperately wanted to go back to just being a project manager. He wasn't enthralled by the money. He didn't like being a people manager because his peers had become his subordinates and he didn't really like it. So the company that he worked for, he sat down and spoke to, and they were pretty close-minded about allowing him to regress his career. So he knew he had to leave, which was unfortunate. But after about two or three or four rejections, he hired me because he said, no one is believing my narrative. So I said, well, why don't you share your narrative with me? And he shared it with me. And after about five or six minutes of talking, I said, well, here's why I think it isn't working. It's a bit obtuse. It's not really clear. You talked a lot and very well, but the words I needed to hear and the only words I needed to hear were who you are, what you do, and why I need to hire you. Instead, I heard why you're taking a step back proactively. I didn't ask. I heard you have a lot of experience in this. So do the other candidates. <laughs> but I have no idea who you are, except that you're a very eloquent speaker. And unfortunately, I'm not hiring an eloquent speaker. I'm hiring a project manager. So we giggled and we worked together and we simplified his story by sticking to honest facts. And we turned a four minute diatribe on his journey back to where he was happiest in his career to an inspirational story of knowing one's strengths and understanding their purpose. And it took less than 30 seconds for him to deliver it. Let the interviewer be reactive to your brand. Let them poke holes in your story. They're gonna do that anyway, but only offer what they need to continue the dialogue. Don't be fooled into thinking that asking questions is a bad thing. That actually shows they have interest. But don't also think that if they don't ask a lot of questions, they don't have interest. Their role in the interview process might be very cursory. So it's hard to read these things, and the best thing you can do is the only thing you can do, and that's control your narrative. 
Now, I understand that people get super nervous in interviews, they talk excessively, so it's common that people will pontificate longer when they talk about themselves than they usually do because they're afraid of saying too little or too much. And some people, this exercise is excruciating. They can't talk enough. They don't want to talk about themselves. It comes down to two types of individuals. There's the type A individual who tends to be more hurried and they do everything quickly and swiftly and they don't have a great deal of strategic decision-making involved. They just like to take action. And then you have your type B individuals who tend to be more laid back. They overthink things to the point of really questioning sometimes, does this person have a sense of urgency at all? But there's assets in organizations to having your type A's and your type B's. You want to have a diversity. And we talk a lot about diversity in today's world in the workplace. Your type A's are competitive in nature. They're more apt to find comfort in speaking about their value the value they bring to the table. And type Bs are more conversational and inquisitive and they take more time getting to the heart of the matter because they'll ask a lot of questions up front to best align their strengths with what the company is looking for. In either case, too much verbosity about the wrong things can hurt you and not enough can also hurt. So it's this kind of balance that you play between speaking only when spoken to or speaking first and then having them ask questions to clarify. Whatever the case, you have to be authentic to your style because if you're not, that also can be damaging. So if you come across as one type and they hire you and you show up at work as another, that doesn't bode well. So as you talk about yourself, the best advice I can give you is to be yourself. Be authentic to you. Beyond your elevator speech, what you should say should reflect on your resume. Think of your narrative in your elevator speech as a teaser. That's something you would tell somebody at a dinner party or at a networking event or somebody you're meeting for the first time. The resume is the Cliff's Notes version of your story. It's in a nutshell, this is what I've done, this is when I did it, this is what I learned. And the interview is the director's cut, long film version of your story. This is where the rubber meets the road and they ask what they want to know. Whatever your narrative or resume didn't tell, they're going to dig into and it should be driven by a narrator when that role is played by the interviewer, whoever it is, hiring manager, HR director, a peer, whatever. In later episodes of 52 Weeks of Empowerment, we're gonna go into depth about how to have the best interview based on questions typically asked. And we're gonna have some experts come in who do interviews on a daily basis. Today, I just wanna focus on how your brand shows up in an interview with people you don't know. Next week, we'll focus a little bit on internal promotions and overcoming adversity in your brand. But in situations where you're applying for, let's say, a promoted position at a new company, the new organization is going to naturally wonder why you want to work for them and you're not getting promoted where you currently are. What's wrong with this picture? So somewhere in your discussion, this is going to come up. And some of my clients will routinely ask me whether... I just say this up front so there's no guesswork and I just acknowledge the white elephant in the room, right? My best advice is to work on your long story 
and make sure it's incorporated in a way where it makes sense. So let's say the interviewer asks you about your current role. Tell me about it. What have you learned most? Give me some strengths and opportunities you take away. Something to skirt the issue of why you're actually leaving your current job for a promotion somewhere else. Keep it short, positive, and opportunity-based. Something like, thanks for asking. I actually love my current role. I've learned a lot. In fact, my decision to leave Z Corporation has been a difficult one because I really enjoy the people I work with and the mission. I have learned a lot during my tenure at Z and I'm ready to take what I've learned to the next level. Unfortunately, as I look for opportunities, they just don't exist at Z right now. So that prompts my interest to you. Keep it relatively broad. They will dig into the experience part and the more specific the more people will get verbose. So if you keep it very light and broad, you're better off. What if you're seeking a lateral role? Well, I can tell you in these situations, don't overstate your objective. But occasionally the interviewer may ask why you're not looking at aspirational roles. You wanna stay in the same position forever? What's up with that? Again, make the narrative work for you. I appreciate your question. Totally understand why you're asking it. I do have a great deal of experience having been at Z Corp for the last five years in this position, but I don't have experience outside of Z in this role. So this is actually aspirational for me. And it may be a win-win for both myself and your company. New opportunity for me to learn and a great opportunity for a seasoned individual to contribute. So I didn't skirt the issue. I just sort of averted it saying, I am aspirational. I'm doing something similar at a different company. It's the way in which you're getting at the experience that I'm applying. And what about roles where you take a step back? In the wake of the great resignation, in the wake of the pandemic, there are a lot of people that are both returning to the workforce, having been laid off or having to make the difficult decision to leave their jobs so that they could remote school their kids, among other things, take care of loved ones, whatever. And they're now migrating back to the workforce, but they're migrating thoughtfully back and saying the job I was doing was burning me out, I've realized now where my calling, my purpose is. So I'd rather go back to a time when I really enjoyed what I did and that's a step back. This part concerns hiring managers because they're worried you're gonna get bored, there's a lack of goals here, is this the only job out there? What if we onboard this person and they leave quickly because they see another opportunity elsewhere and they were just doing this to get back into the workforce. Well, that's a waste of our time and money. So you've got to somehow convince them all of the things I said before, you're getting back, you've thought about this very carefully to a place in your career where you were happier and more productive. I believe in just being straightforward. Hey, I'm at a point in my career where being in a fulfilling role means more to me than level. While I've excelled in this type of role in past work experience and have advanced as a result, processes have changed and each company does things differently. So this is an opportunity that affords me the ability to do something that I love as well as learn new ways to do it, which can be both challenging and fulfilling. You see, if you try to convince them that this job is your calling, 
you're missing the point of the question. Your answer should address their underlying concerns. You aren't lazy and you aren't looking to turn and burn. You're looking to do something that brings you joy. Plain and simple. What does pose a bit of a challenge in these situations is that companies are unable to pay you the salary you've received at higher levels. So they're going to harp on this one a little bit, and it makes sense as to why. Here's another place that some people trying to get these roles get wrapped around the axle. They start to talk about value and impact and what they bring to the table, and it only further confirms that, hey, you know you're worth more money. We're not able to pay you that level. And sorry, we're not going to offer you the role. So if you are looking to take a step back and you are prepared to take a step back and pay, certainly not to where you were back when you initially worked in the role. And I think every company will understand that. But on the higher end of the range scheduled for this role, that needs to be part of the long film conversation too. And I'm going to share what another one of my clients said because it was so eloquent and it was this exact situation. And I told him, I'm going to steal this and share this with every other coaching client who comes with this question of how do I handle less pay than I'm making now? And I'm okay with it because that's, that's one that companies will ask. And he said, money isn't a motivator. It should be contingent upon experience to some degree, but where it isn't making me stay where I was or where I am currently, I want to concern that I would leave if I'm offered more elsewhere. First of all, I wouldn't be looking. Secondly, this is a time in my career where it's about career satisfaction. I want to be paid fairly, but I want to get back to being happy. And to me, That's not just a salary situation. I thought it was awesome. It was short. It was to the point. He makes a powerful point too, because happy people are productive. If you can convince any hiring manager of that, they're going to want to listen to your story over and over, and they're going to want to be a part of it. So this week, as you continue your practice of operating with an abundance mindset, and you've identified your one word that you're seeking professionally in 2022, I want you to start to weave your narrative and identify your personal brand story. It's a powerful example of tying the why to the want. And we will meet next week to coach you through the challenges of this exercise. Same time, same place, and more power.